Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, this is your captain speaking. Uh, we're just about ready for takeoff now, so, uh... Shit, everybody move now. Go, go, go. Inside, everybody inside. To the stairs, quickly. Everyone head to the roof. The helicopter's waiting there. Go, go. No, no. No, you're lying. That, that's what demons do. They lie to cause men of God to doubt. I'm not telling any lies now, Father. I can feel it in your soul that you know what I say is true. There's so much blood everywhere. Where be the rest of them? I... I can't tell. What is doing this, Mr. Simon? That couldn't have been done by no man, I swear it. I don't know. From the minds of true crime guys comes Sandu Stories. Our brand new channel devoted to our previously Patreon exclusive content, where we'll be bringing you our own version of true crime what ifs and other audio dramas, one season at a time. Join us wherever you get your podcast. Now, let's get strange. I can feel your fear growing and your faith dwindling. It's an intoxicating feeling. Hello, and welcome back to True Crime Guys Podcast. I'm Michael, and Andy is still here. But um, He is still here, man. I'm you're, just you're... sitting here air drumming <laughs> in the air tonight. <laughs> right? I brought him a change of clothes. Right. Uh, and uh, yeah, I've even loosened some of his restraints on his chair. So yeah, got we, some nice uh, airflow. <laughs> yes, we're giving him bathroom breaks now, uh, but well, not too many. Not well, yeah, the buckets are overflowing. So right, I, I do need to get you a bigger bucket. <laughs> yeah, that five gallon one's not it's, cutting it. It is not cutting it. <laughs> Got to cut a fifty-five gallon barrel in here. <laughs> That's right. But guys, welcome to episode two hundred six of oh. CCG proper. Two hundred six, man. I episode can't six of, a... of season two. Yes, yeah, <laughs> season two, episode six. That's right. That's right. And guys, uh, right off the bat, I want to remind you, if you are listening to this wherever you listen to podcasts, you can also check us out on YouTube. Go subscribe on YouTube. Uh, True Crime Guys, the official True Crime Guys channel. Look for the logo, look for the branding, all that good stuff, because there are some people who like to steal our content, which is not cool. No, and you can all, cool. you can all see what I'm doing with my fingers the whole time. Yeah. I'm not yeah. going to tell you. Andy is check it out. very <laughs> animated during the show. You guys are missing half of the entertainment just by not watching it. Yeah, it sucks. We were we were we did a strange shorts last week. We didn't record it. And I just talked with my hands too much and <laughs> just smacked myself in the face. Real good one good time with the mic. It would have been great. It, it been really would have been great. Little social media clip of just watching Andy go. Don't. <laughs> <laughs> You get to hear it. You yeah. get to hear it. Uh, if you're on Patreon, of course. Speaking of Patreon, I want to thank Chelsea Richardson on Patreon for this suggestion. Thank you very much, uh, Chelsea. We very much needed this palate cleanser. Wouldn't you agree, Andy? Yes. I even told Michael, I was like, it's so good to come over and not be mad at you. <laughs> <laughs> it's not my fault. I don't pick these cases. I know, but it's just like, here, I just Andy, approve them. Look at this. I don't want to look at this. Look at, look at it. <laughs> look at this atrocity, Andy. Look at it. But yeah, so thank you very much, Chelsea, for this. Uh, yeah, after the Sugar Babe episode of last week, guys, if you haven't listened to that, my God, uh, you know, take a good shower before and after. Um, but yeah, enjoy that train wreck. Yeah, it's uh, like I guess it's enjoy like, if that's the correct word. I don't. It's it's like hard to recommend it. It, it really is. It's it's tough. a hard thing to be like. You should check this out. Just 
be warned. Yeah, it's, it's like, one of those cases I can't wait to fall out of my memory. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that I have a short uh, a problem with uh, long term memory when that when I think of cases like that. Yeah, absolutely. You know Sometimes you just gotta smoke those out. You know, you right. smoke them out. Just smoke them out. That's right. <laughs> smoke them out. <laughs> smoke out the bad thoughts. Uh, but also on Patreon, uh, next week we will be exclusively on Patreon here with TCG Proper. We will be covering the case of the Texas Town Sniper. Mm-hmm. So if you guys want to hear us again next week, um, then please join Patreon, patreon.com slash truecrimeguys. There's a link right below the description of this episode. But here on the free platform, we have not forgot about you freeloaders, and we will be releasing our newest episode of Strange Shorts mm-hmm. with me and Andy as well. If you guys don't know, um, the closest thing we can think of that that's out there right now would be like uh, kind of like side stories that last podcast on the left does. It's where we cover funny um, or just weird cases in the news. They're, they're typically more recent um, you know, smaller, smaller, softcore crimes and issues, if you will. Yeah, it's kind. Of, I think of it as almost like our uh, think of it like the opening monologue for a talk show. It's like where we get to cover all the yeah. recent t- yeah, current yeah, yeah. events in our in our neck of the woods, our you know genre. That's right. We get to cover our our little opening monologue. We get yeah. to instead of talking about the real story tonight. Right. We, <laughs> we get our opening monologue bits. Exactly. And speaking of stories, uh, guys, check out our other show, Sandu Stories, wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, episode, the new episode just came out March 21st. Uh, this episode came out March 22nd. So if you're listening on the day of, it came out yesterday. It is called A Brush with Death. A young painter, Edward Blythe, is hired to paint a mural in an old church and soon finds out that his that the history is quite dark and that that past has come to collect a debt. Ah, Very things... fun episode. One of my favorites, honestly. I got to pe- I got to play uh, the painter, Edward Blythe. Yeah, as, uh, and... as the Wells, you are the artist around uh, here. Right, right. It was it was it was <laughs> just a came, short stretch. Just from... came so natural to me. <laughs> right. Like I was like uh, I've been preparing for this role my whole life. My actually. whole life, actually. <laughs> came out wearing a uh, red. <laughs> Also, that episode features good friend and popular podcast host Leroy Luna mm-hmm. of Excuse Me That's Illegal fame. Uh, Leroy is featured in that one as well as four or five other Sandu stories that you guys will be hearing uh, in the future. So please check that out. All right. Well, you about ready to get into Ned Kelly? Oh, yeah, bet I am, Did you boy. study good? I did my best. Did Did you watch a movie? Yes. You son of a bitch. Andy <laughs> and your movies. I can't wait to find out. <laughs> I can't wait to find out how off this movie was. Well, honestly. it got me off. <laughs> Topic, at least. Let's some, go. Hey! I was just about to say, was it, there were some sexy actors on there, though. Mm-hmm. I, I must say. Um, let's see. You watched Ned Kelly, which came out in 2003. Yes. Correct. I watched The True History of the Kelly Gang, which came out in 2020, which was... Actually, quite accurate, other than one huge flaw with the movie. A huge flaw. Okay? Okay, first off, I want to say we didn't just watch movies for this case, okay, please? If you're if you're tuning out because you're like, wow, they watched two movies and that's what they're doing this podcast on? No, you know it's better than that. But we had to watch the movies because they're fun to make fun of and they're fun extra content. And now, Heath Ledger and Orlando Bloom. I mean, it's stacked cast, guys. Let's keep going. Yeah, exactly. Um, but the true history of the Kelly gang got a lot of stuff right. It really did. Um, Even though at the beginning of the show, of the movie, it says most of what, or what you're about to see is not true, right? And then the title comes up and it says True History of the Kelly Gang. So it's very conflicting. But there is one huge flaw in the movie that I really don't understand what they did, why they did it. And it's the fact that they made the Kelly Gang wear dresses. So when Ned's a boy and his father dies at like 12, um, they show him dead 
in police custody wearing a red dress, like a very, like a beautiful dress, like a ball gown type mm. of dress. Okay. Yeah. And then the, the boys in the future kind of, they kind of piggyback on this idea because they think that uh, wearing these dresses makes them seem crazy. Yeah. Or you know what I'm saying? Like it just makes them seem like they're they're off kilter, like they could do anything. Unpredictable. Right? Yeah. Unpredictable. It, it terrifies them. Um so yeah, that was weird. I don't understand that. I've looked that up and a lot of people, a lot of historians just chalk it up to the fact that just uh, apparently Ned Kelly has been made fun of over the years through by different generations and they think that it's just another form of that. It's just the newest generation taking a swing at Ned Kelly making him look feminine or uh, homosexual or bisexual or bisexual or whatever they're trying to do. He's mm-hmm. definitely bisexual um, in in the movie. Yeah. Uh, I, that's pretty obvious. That's pretty obvious. Uh, Joe, Joe Byrne, his, his partner, becomes more of kind of like a lover in the movie. He's not really seen as much of a tough outlaw. Joe's not, mm. um, which is kind of interesting. Um, but yeah. So Edward Kelly, better known as Ned Kelly, was a famous Australian outlaw or bushranger, well known for his unlawful activities against the government of Victoria. Ned and his family were trans- transported, we'll, get, we'll talk more about that later, to Australia from Ireland. Ned believed that they were victims of harassment by the police because of their status as selectors or families that were transported. This yeah. belief was the foundation of Ned's hatred of the law and led him to his life of crime. And to this very day, he remains a legend who inspired the phrase, as game as Ned Kelly. He is still one of the most popular subjects of biographies and documentaries made in Australia. Well, I'm excited to get into this, Michael. Uh, me too, dude. I'm, I'm ready. Educate me, man. All right. Educate me. Let's get into it. Let's play the intro. Let's do it. Yeah. Kelly was a gentleman, despite what he
All right. So let's get into old Ned or Edward Kelly. I'm going to talk with an Irish accent as much as I can. All right, good. I hope you will. I will, <laughs> You could also do Australian because, you know, Ned probably had a mix. Yeah, probably. I mean, you know, he's hearing the, the, the thick Irish accent probably from his parents and maybe older relatives. Because I know after his father died, he, he moved in. Him and his mother and his siblings moved to a a property where there were a lot of Irish immigrants. Yeah. So, a lot I'm of sure, UK people over there. I'm sure his, his accent kind of probably was some type of collaboration of Irish and Australian, I would think. Yeah, pro- absolutely. That's why the Australian accent is what it is. I mean, it was originally yeah. a lot of, you know, British and French and yeah. like that, and they just kind of kept it, but also like a, fuck you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I had a couple dying guys on there. How about, hey. fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they just perfected but, that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, but Ned, or Edward Kelly, was born in December of 1854. We don't know the day, so again, we can't do celebrity birthdays. You know what? But, I claim it in my birthday. <laughs> All right. There we go. <laughs> no, I actually don't. No, no. But yeah. But he was born in Beaveridge, Victoria, to a proud Irish Catholic family. Ned had two older sisters and was the third child and first boy in his family. He also had five younger siblings, one of which was his younger brother, Dan, who we will talk a lot about in this episode. If you uh, if he sounds familiar, Dan was also a member of the Kelly gang. Yeah. And his only brother that was. That was something like you definitely saw that in the movie. It was like that old prairie house where it's like mom's in bed, like one yeah. one child's in a bed, then like seven are all on the floor just sprawled yeah. out like it's a camping trip. And you're like, well, that's yeah, actually, they, no, that's just where they all live. Yeah, they lived in a two-bedroom house. They, they were they were quite poor. Um, his father, John, or Red Kelly, was an Irish, I mean, how many Irishmen are named Red? Like, seriously. That's I mean, Jesus Christ. common characteristic. Yeah, seriously. At the time. Seriously. But Red Kelly was an Irish convict who was sentenced to transportation for stealing two pigs and he was sent to Australia. Now, transportation as a penalty has been used by the British since the time of Queen Elizabeth I, who reigned from 1533 to 1603. And before they started shipping all their petty thieves to Australia, they were sending them right here to the good old US of A, Andy. Did you know that? Uh Uh-huh, I did. Yeah, up until the Revolutionary War, so we're just a bunch of convicts, relatives as well. So that's great. (laughs) At least, well, at least Australia, they were just like, that one is an island. They can't get off. Yeah, they can't get off. Exactly. But uh, talking about convicts sent to the sent to America, in fact, about 40,000 convicts were transported to the British colonies in America to work off their sentences. But the transportation of criminals to America ended very quickly in 1776 with the start of the Revolutionary War. And with the crime rising and American colonies rebelling, Britain had to find another place to send its problem children. So finally, in 1786, Prime Minister William Pitt decided to establish a convict colony at Botany Bay, halfway around the world in, you guessed it, Australia. Australia. That's right. I do. Yeah, they used to have a lot of um, the like the indentured servitude, the people having to like kind of pay off debts, or they would like mm-hmm. pay for their travels across the uh, across yeah. the Atlantic, and and they would work as you know indentured servitude yeah. to pay off those things. But yeah, what's crazy though is this this transportation. Like it may seem it may seem light, but uprooting your life to go to this island, uh, you know what I'm saying? This island, this giant island of Australia, was. Pretty harsh punishment, honestly, considering the offenses. Like, for instance, Ned's dad, like I said before, was was sentenced transportation because of stealing pigs, man. Two mm-hmm. pigs, and he was sent across the world. Like, that's that's crazy to me. Yeah, also remember that you're going from England or Ireland at this point, whichever one he was at, mm-hmm. to Australia on a boat in like 17... 17- 
86 or something like right, that right, this right, time. Right. So it's not a quick trip. These are prisoners. They're not getting the best quality of treatment no. all the way over here. And so guess it's what? like if you made the journey all the way over, Very then true. you worked off your sentence. So it was like, so yeah, transportation could have been a death sentence yeah. if you made the journey to the Australia. Exactly. And your living arrangements once you got here were garbage as well. Mm-hmm. So Ned's dad, Red, was obviously looking for better place to live and moved to Victoria and started working at a farm owned by a man named James Quinn, where he fell in love with James's daughter, Ellen Quinn. Okay. Okay, and the rest is history, right? So even at a young age, young Ned noticed that his family being targeted by the poli- were being targeted by the police because of his father's past and their family's status as a, quote, selector family. Mm-hmm. And his opinion and respect for authority was being shaped during these formative years. Yeah, they never now, use that uh, selector family term in the movies. I don't know why they never they use it. They do not. Yeah. They do not. They don't really want to bring a lot of attention to that. Yeah, they don't they, like to bring up that's like, oh yeah, there's some reasons they were kind of frustrated. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of things they leave out of the lore of Ned Kelly, which we're going to try to cover. Now, this is not to say that Ned was an overly rebellious or a bad kid. In fact, he he was a pretty good kid. When he was 10 years old... He was actually he actually witnessed a seven year old boy drowning in a river, and Ned did not hesitate to save his life. The boy's family was somewhat wealthy and rewarded Ned with a green silk sash, mm-hmm. and the green obviously was symbolic of his Irish heritage, and he was damn proud of it. Um, he even ends up wearing this sash under his world famous armor that he wore in the final shootout. If I- and if you're watching on YouTube, we have the armor on the screen. This stuff is incredible, and we will talk a lot more about this later. I believe he wore that sash for most of his life, especially after his outlaw career started, because yeah. he it was like a reminder I mean, that during he, important moments. Yeah, it's like it was a reminder to himself that he was not a bad person. He's like, I've saved lives. That's too. a good point. That's it was a like a point. nice. It was so, almost like a hero's medal because like it was like it, presented to him yeah. as like a thank you. It was a nice like you know gold or green sash with gold yeah. trim and stuff. So yeah, it was like a as like it was a decorative thing for him him to remind him that he's not always a bad person. Absolutely. Absolutely. And like I said, it reminded him of his Irish roots, but it also, yeah, it helped him. Someone who's living in exile and being judged for their Irish roots, it it gave him a a different vision of it. Yeah. You know, something to be proud of. Um, But not long after, tragedy struck the Kelly family. And December, on December 27th of 1866, his father, Red Kelly, died of dropsy due to alcohol abuse in Avenel leaving behind the 12-year-old Ned to care for his mother and siblings. Now, dropsy is a very old term. I was about to say, I've never never heard that term, so can you please educate me on that? Yes, absolutely. (laughs) It just just means swelling under the skin, and uh, it's known today as edema. Um, In edema, the area under the skin, the interstitium? Interstitium? Am I saying Mm -hmm. that right? Interstitium? Uh, but anyways, the underneath the skin fills with fluid, okay? (laughs) And it's, uh, it's normal for fluid to be entered into the interstitium. However, when diseases cause the body to overproduce this fluid or impairs the body's ability to drain the fluid away, it accumulates and becomes edema. Now, edema is not what kills people. It's usually whatever caused the edema. But in this time, they didn't know. They're just like, I don't know, he's swelling up. He died of dropsy. <laughs> oh, man, he's just getting fat. Yeah, but really, mm-hmm. most likely, it was due to alcoholism and malnourishment. Yeah, true. Your organs so, are shutting down. Your body's not processing things. Exactly. Yeah. And a lot of the food that you are getting, you're using it to feed your nine other family members. Oh, yeah. Still Irish Catholic. I mean, yeah. they're still popping out babies right off the bat. Like, right. They have a big family. Right. 
So after Papa Red died, the family moved to 11 Mile Creek to be closer to his mother Ellen's family. This is also when Ned quit school and started taking work to earn money for the family. However, the Kellys' new living arrangements really weren't much better, even with family around, because of the constant war between these big landowners, or squatters, and small selector families like the Kellys. Okay, so at this time, before, before Great Britain started sending these petty criminals to Australia, they were encouraging people to move there and claim plots of land because these areas were, you know, they were just claimed by indigenous people. So they're just free, right? Yeah. Uh, pretty much. So oh, look the, at all this. Look at all this unclaimed land here. There's people here. Right. Fuck those people. Look at the <laughs> look land. Look at the land. It's <laughs> awesome now. Um, but yeah, basically that's what happened. And these squatters, because they were there and because they were able to, because they weren't convicts and they were able to travel there with their money, with their riches, with their their livestock or whatever they wanted to bring, they got a much better start. Mm -hmm. So they had these huge plots of land. And like I said, they were much wealthier. So these small uh, selector families like the Kellys, they didn't stand a chance. Okay. And then also it led to a lot of biased accusations of theft because no one's blaming these rich squatters. They're blaming the selector families. They, so much. Uh, I was okay. I was gonna say go ahead, but the, they did. They mentioned that in the movie a few times about how they were like, "Yeah, you guys. Oh, well, you guys even had to pay for your transport over here." It's like, and we got here with nothing. Yeah, we have nothing here. It's like because we were a criminal. It's right. Like, well, you guys even had to pay for your transport. Whoop de doo! <laughs> Slept in the bottom I of the boat. I don't want the transport. <laughs> yeah, you still came over with your money. <laughs> yeah, but while the while the Kelly family lived on this little area of land, eighteen charges were brought against the Kelly family in regards to petty theft and just things like that. Vagrancy, just any charge they can throw. Yep. And eventually, coming to a head in 1869, where at the age of 14, Ned got arrested for assaulting a Chinaman. However, he was released from the Banella lockup after 10 days when the charge was dismissed by the magistrate. Allegedly because no one could posit positively uh, identify Ned, and some witnesses even claimed that Ned didn't start it. So with a lot of the main, the main fights, the main battles, the main issues in Ned's life, there are multiple stories. And in those, in those instances, if I can find the multiple stories, if I was able to, then I will state both of them. But a lot of this stuff you have to take with a grain of salt, like with every outlaw legend. Yeah. You know what I mean? Maybe, so is that... Maybe Ned did it. Maybe he didn't. And like, so that's like the first one that they say, like, it's his first run-in or yeah, whatever? Yeah, that's his first run-in. Yeah. Yeah. That, they differ in the, in the movie on that one that I watched. It's not a it's not an assault on a on like anybody else. It's an assault on a police officer. And it's not... It's, uh, oh, that, he assaults police officers. That, that, that's that's the first, like crime they show is yeah. that's why he gets put into jail and that's definitely the most noteworthy thing. it's like that's the this, first time this, he's ever run into the law was when he assaults a police officer over a horse yeah yeah this little incident with the with the quote-unquote chinaman um is is not a very prominent incident so a lot of it a lot of the incidents like that will be left out but not this timeline baby yeah it's like not as you can one. tell they don't even have a per they don't even have the name of the person he assaulted so it's like, yeah. was it a real charge? Or you're just like, he hit uh, uh, yeah, that one. He was a Chinaman and he was, he's over there. <laughs> Which one? I, oh, <laughs> fuck. Which one? I don't, uh, just, just lock him up. <laughs> right. But regardless, you know, with Ned and the way he felt about authority already, this did not help. And during this rambunctious time in his life, he met another man named Harry Power, a transported convict who turned to bushranging and ultimately became Ned's mentor and guide. Can you, what is, what is bushranging? You know, bushranging is basically outlawing okay. uh, in America. They call, it, they call it bushranging. Yeah, oh. because you're like, you know, you, you steal from 
from wagons on trails. Uh, you know, you hold up people, you steal horses, steal cattle. A lot like what we talked about in the Butch Cassidy. Okay. They, yeah, if they just, were in Australia, they'd be bushrangers. Just outlaws. All right. Yeah. So, and then by May of 1869, under Harry Power's influence, Ned learned the tricks of the trade and mastered the art of bushranging. <laughs> I'm going to say it like that every single time. Bushranging. Bushranging. But not without a cost. You see, Harry Power had quite the reputation. And simply being affiliated with him got Ned locked up on several occasions, much like Ned's supporters later on in life, yeah. getting hassled by police for literally no reason. Just for knowing him. Just for knowing him. And uh, But sometimes Ned brought it upon himself, okay? Like we got when he got into a fight with a hawker named Jeremiah McCormick when he tried to steal his horse. Ned kicked his ass and was given six months hard labor, only to be a free again in March of 1871. What's a hawker? A hawker... Is the I'm, definition I'm just, is really funny. It's actually, it's actually someone who sells things by shouting it out in the street. Basically, it's like a traveling merchant. Oh, you're like just a peddler. You just yeah. sitting out there just panhandling. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Okay. Pretty much. Baby dingoes here. Get your baby dingoes. <laughs> baby you know, kangaroo. Just, baby kangi. Baby, baby, baby kangi. Huh? Shit. What do you want? I think the mother's back. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> want your shrimp? And we got it. But uh, yeah. Either way. Ned, what happened here most likely was Ned probably tried to steal his horse when he wasn't looking, and then this guy tried to fight him, and that was kind of a mistake, and Ned kicked his ass. But like I said, he got sentenced to six months hard labor. He didn't kill anyone. But three weeks after Ned gets out of jail, a horsebreaker arrived in town and reported that his owner's chestnut mare was missing. Okay? The horse was, let's say, uh, found, I'm using this in quotes, uh, by Ned's brother-in-law, Alex Gunn, who then gave it to Ned. But as far as Ned knew, allegedly, as the story goes, he w- thought it was a gift. Okay, yeah. He thought that his brother-in-law was just giving him this horse because he got out of prison. He had nothing. He's like, you need to get back on your feet. Here, take this chestnut mare and have a, have a good time. This is where they really differentiated in the, my movie because there, it, it wasn't a gift that he got from his brother-in-law. Yeah. It was that he found it. That Actually, Ned found the horse when he wo- him and his brothers were out on the trail mm. or something. He woke up and, and this horse was out in the field and he yeah. recognized it. I think that's so he what, like rides into town on it and they're like, yeah. you stole that horse. He's like, yeah. no, I, didn't. I just found it. Yeah, I think actually Alex Gunn found the horse in that sense. That's why I say found in quotes. Like he found it in an area where he probably knew it was someone's horse but he just didn't give a shit. Yeah, that one. Okay. That, and that one, the movie I watched, it was like an actual. Just I just found this horse out in the field when I woke up. Right. And he just rides it into town, and they're like, yep. "You stole the horse." He's like, "I did not." And exactly. He kicks this guy's ass. <laughs> exactly. So while riding it through town, he was confronted by Constable Edward Hall. The constable asked Ned if he could come down from the horse and sign some papers. You know, very calm and cool like. But as soon as Ned's boots hit the soil, Constable Hall was all over him, and the two were fighting instantly. Ultimately, leading the Constable Hall, pulling his weapon, and firing at Ned. But lucky for him, his gun misfired three times. Three times. <laughs> I just, all I could think of when I saw that was uh, the, it's like, k- 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 what the? Ah, made in Britain. <laughs> like, like, have you ever seen the IT crowd when the fire extinguisher doesn't work? It's like, why doesn't it? Ah, made in Britain. Oh, made in Britain. <laughs> the British officer like, click, click, ah. Made in Britain. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, so Ned takes advantage of his Irish luck and tackles Hall to the ground, digging his spurs into his side until Hall finally ends the fight with a pistol whip upside Ned's head. Mm. It's also um, 
it's also believed that another constable kind of pitched in and helped pull yeah. Ned off of him, and then the, the pistol whips actually came later. It wasn't really a fair thing. I think Ned would have probably kicked his ass. That's if, how they show it in, in my movie, too. It's yeah. like he, he attacks the guy, and two other constables come yeah. out and pull more, him. More than likely, that's what happened. Him. You don't go from being on top of somebody, like, and pounding them, and then all of a sudden, you know, you let them get a pistol and whack you in the head. Like, I don't, I don't know. Maybe, but I doubt it. Mm-hmm. But either way, Ned is then taken into custody, and he's sentenced to three years in prison for feloniously receiving a horse. Hmm. And his brother-in-law, who gave him the horse and most likely stole it, only served 18 months. <laughs> but he had no record. True. He had no record. So. I do like how they, they settled that in the in the movie I watched. It was like his brother-in-law only gets 18 months. He's like, well, fu- he only got 18 months. And it just shows them bare-knuckle boxing in the street. And he picked his brother's ass. He's like... Are we square? He's like, oh, you know it. <laughs> it's like just classic old yeah. Irish vibe. It's just right. bare knuckle fight. These guys have the big mustache and stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of bare knuckle fighting in my movie as well. It's pretty I just cool. love that. It's like, you only got 18 months? Oh, we're fighting for that. <laughs> right. <laughs> Seriously. So when Ned finally got out of prison, things had changed quite a bit at the Kelly household. For one, it was the King household now, because Ned's mother had remarried a man by the name of George King. Now, in, now in, in the movie I watched, it portrayed George King as a very young man, like an outlaw, but a very young man. I think they even portrayed him as an American. Mm. They even talked about him being American, but he was about Ned's age. So Ned had a real issue with this. Yeah. Of someone his own age dating his mother. You know Dude, what I'm he, saying? It's kind of kind of weird. He wasn't even in my movie. When when In, in my movie, when Ned gets out of prison, his yeah. mom uh, has recently had a baby and she says she was married, but he's not in the picture anymore. And it's just mm. his mother there, so there is no, you know, George King's not even in my in the movie I watched. Oh wow, so. George King is kind of a big role because he kind of uh, gets Ned back into horse stealing. Yep. Because in 1876, uh, you know, with practically no other options, Ned joins his stepfather in a horse stealing racket. It was and it was a real family affair, affair that included Ned's younger brother Dan. And on April 15th, 1878, the family paid the price. When Constable Fitzpatrick visited the Kellys to arrest Ned's younger brother, Dan, who was being accused of horse stealing. Not the Kellys. <laughs> what? They don't steal horses, bro. Come on. Like Get out of here. It's like the family we covered last week where it's like, not the Brooks family. Not they the don't. Brooks. <laughs> Why would they be under suspicion? But anyways, the events that followed are, let's say, unclear. Okay? Because this is a huge turning point in Ned's life. This is basically what sent him on the run so this story has a lot of reason to be embellished by both sides True. which makes it very difficult so um like i said the events that followed are unclear as both parties later narrated con- conflicting versions of the story but here's the version that i found the most okay constable fitzpatrick receives an arrest warrant for young dan kelly ned's younger brother but when he arrives dan isn't there So the constable makes himself at home while making small talk, and it isn't long before Dan comes riding home to the Kellys. The constable patiently awaits Dan as he ties up his horse, then approaches the boy with the news. Dan handles it pretty well, and after some time on the road, he's he's very hungry, and he's starving. So he asks the constable if he can at least eat before he takes him in. Fitzpatrick obliges. So while the Kellys are having a nice friendly supper with the constable Fitzpatrick, Ned comes bursting through the door. Noticing the constable's horse outside, he's more than ready for a fight. Ned is already holding his pistol when Fitzpatrick scrambles for his. Ned fires, but he misses. But it buys enough time for his mother, Ellen, to grab a shovel and whack the constable over the head. As the constable is falling to the ground, we hear another shot ring out. 
This time, Ned strikes Fitzpatrick in the wrist. Hmm. So now Fitzpatrick is at the mercy of the Kellys. Young Dan Kelly grabbed the constable's revolver during the scuffle. So now being held at gunpoint, Ned hands Fitzpatrick a knife and tells him to dig out the bullet. The Kellys give Fitzpatrick a piece of dirty cloth to dress his wound as they concoct a story of events that Fitzpatrick is supposed to stick to. But instead, he goes straight to his superior officer and tells his version of the story. And now what started as Dan Kelly wanted for horse theft has turned into nearly the entire Kelly family being charged with attempted murder of an officer. Okay. See that? Okay. I know there's, I know there's more stories to mm -hmm. this, but that's that, th this whole event is portrayed very differently in the Heath Ledger movie. Dude, almost everything you read, it's portrayed differently. But like, yeah, there is, it's in, in that movie, mm -hmm. Ned's not even there. Oh, wow. They make a whole thing about Ned's not even at the house. It's, it's, uh, Joe and his brothers mm -hmm. and the, the constable comes in, but he's not there for the brothers. He's there because he's actually interested in one of their sisters, but he's like, I got warrants out for both of you. And he's like, well, can you show me the warrants? And they're like, yeah, uh, no, but yeah. I'm... And then he comes in and starts trying to like hit on his sister and then they get into a fight. Yes. But it's there. No one actually gets shot, but Ned's not even there in that movie because he even makes a big deal. He's like, I wasn't even there. Yeah. So I was like, I was with, you know, okay. the girl that's, I was trying to That's awesome, with. actually, because that is, this is the different version uh, mm -hmm. that Andy has just alluded to. The version where Fitzpatrick rode up to the Kelly property drunk off his rocker and tried to molest or talk to or court one of the Kelly girls, and the family stepped in. Now, we may never know the truth about this encounter, honestly, um, but in, in the movie I watched, it went... The former. It went the first way. Ned actually does shoot the constable in the wrist, but it's because he raises his gun yeah. to shoot. They don't have the misfire. They just have the fact that he shot the constable in the in the wrist to make him drop his revolver. Yeah. Because he didn't want to kill him. Yeah. And the one I watched, it's the, he's he's going up for the guys, for Ned's sister. Yeah. And Ned's not even there. He's out on one of his jobs or whatever. And then yep. that's another Joe yeah. and his brothers actually get the guy. Who knows? Could be either way. Could be either way. But, either, but for sure, it was this event that changed the Kelly family forever. Ned and Dan flee into the bush immediately, thinking that they would be the main focus of the law. But instead, they arrest their mother, Ellen, and charge her with attempted murder and sentence her to three years of hard labor, hoping that this would draw the Kelly boys back out. Hmm. But instead, the boys decided they had no choice but to live a life on the lamb. And now more than ever, they were bent on revenge. This okay. only reinforced Ned's hatred for the system, and he, like many others, believed the charges against his mother were extremely harsh and prejudiced. Okay. So, a reward for 100 pounds was announced for Ned's capture. Ned and Dan were later joined by friends Joe Byrne and Steve Hart, who helped them form the Kelly Gang. <laughs> they were living out in the bush for six months when something crazy happened. See, in the movie I watched, it was actually Joe's idea to actually go out into the bush together because Joe yeah. was kind of at the house when the, the constable happened. Right. And Ned's not even there. So Ned comes home and he's like, what happened? So Joe has to tell them all yeah. what happens. He's like, I think you and Dan should go out to the bush because yeah. they're going to be looking for you guys. Like, they're going to blame you. Right. He's like, so. we got to get out of here one way or another. So on October 25th, 1878, based on reports... Uh, that claimed the gang was hiding in the Wombat Ranges, two police groups were dispatched, determined to kill the Kelly brothers on sight. They thought that they were tracking the Kelly gang, but in truth, it was Ned that was tracking them. Yeah, that's a fun part, too. Yes, this, this, this was portrayed really cool um, in the newer movie. Uh, Ned surprised them while they were camping in the densely forested area of Stringy Bark Creek. Ned walks up to them slowly, noticing their rifles all leaning up against a stump at the camp. 
Ned hollers for them to put their hands up, and as two of the officers turn in his direction, he recognizes one of them, a man named Lonigan, and for good damn reason. You see, about a year earlier, Lonigan was involved in one of Ned's arrests with mm -hmm. another officer, and when the other officer already had Ned subdued, Lonigan decided to add unnecessary insult to injury by grabbing and squeezing Ned's testicles, Oof. something that gave him issues for the rest of his short life. And on that day, Ned promised that if he saw Lonigan again, he would kill him. Damn, that is a very different. Okay, that, this yeah. is a very different, uh, <clears throat> like act that what happens uh -huh. in my movie. So yeah, in the Keith Ledger version. Yeah, it's pretty fucked up. Um, so Lonigan, no doubt seeing the rage in Ned's eyes, decided to make a move and jump behind a fallen tree brandishing a pistol. But when he showed his face again, Ned blew him away and left him bleeding out and coughing up puddles of blood. Ned then turns his attention to the other officer, McIntyre, asking who's all in the area. But before he can answer, two more officers are heard riding through the bush, returning to camp. So the Kelly gang quickly scramble into one of the tents, watching as the officers approach. Now seeing the panicked McIntyre, the officers pull their rifles. But just then, the Kelly boys burst from the tent and open fire. Both officers jump from their horses in search of cover, but are ultimately hunted down and each killed. Although during the scuffer, scuffle, uh, old McIntyre got away okay. and was no doubt headed to his superior to tell him the bad news, which he did. He actually hid out in a wombat hole for a little while, for like hours, a honestly. Wombat. A wombat hole. Like, that's the most Australian place to hide, I think. Yeah. Where were you at? Um, I was in a wombat <laughs> hole. I was in a wombat hole, Mike. You should have seen him. The only thing you could have been <laughs> in was like, I was in a kangaroo's pouch, Mike. <laughs> It's in there for two days. She nursed me. Dice. Starving in there, mate. She was nursing me. <laughs> they call me Joey now. That's right. <laughs> but following the incident, the Kelly gang members were officially proclaimed as outlaws, seeing as though that they had just killed three officers. And the reward for their capture was raised to 500 pounds. So now, basically, they could be killed on sight and were no longer seen as humans with rights. Yeah, but so, so it's open season for the Kellys now. Yeah, it was something about Parliament had been like reprieved and they had brought something back, or it but it made them into outlaws that literally could be shot on sight yes. for like a bounty and they could turn that money in. But um, yeah, yeah they I actually made a new law for these outlaws. They yeah. hadn't they hadn't uh, encountered outlaws of this stature yet. Not in Australia. They were no. like, no, this whole this whole continent full of criminals that we sent over there. They're not yeah. going to actually do crime over there, are they? Yeah. No, 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 of course not. Uh, but yeah, on that, on that whole incident, when he, when they, when he kills Lonigan, yeah. they, they make it much, they try to make Ned much more like, uh, empathetic in that movie. They make, they try to make you feel for him a lot more. There's no right. like rage. He doesn't mean to kill anybody. He doesn't want to kill them. It's a lot of, yeah, it's mm. not this like personal rage against somebody. Yeah. So they try and really kind of portray him as the, as by, the hero. By this part in the true history of Ned Kelly, that came out in 2020. He is all, he is full like freaking Punisher at this point. Yeah, he's like fuck it. He's got like face paint. He's like like I said, other than wearing a dress, I, I don't get that. I don't understand that. But other than wearing a dress, he's freaking badass. Mm -hmm. He's out there like I say, face paint, fucking taking people down, taking taking names, not taking names. Yeah. Um. But what Andy was referring to this law that they put into place, it made it illegal not only uh like for the outlaws to own land or anything, honestly, it also made it illegal to help or aid these outlaws. Yeah. So even if you were unaffiliated with them, if you somehow helped or aided them in any way, you could be prosecuted. Yeah, that that was very loosely used as, oh, you know them? 
Yeah. You're aiding them. Yeah, exactly. If you knew them, if you were any way associated, they were going to, they were going to fuck, like just fuck with you. Yep. So. Yep. And on the other hand, if you uh, helped in their capture, you betrayed them, then you could be rewarded up to 2,000 pounds. 2,000 pounds for information leading to their capture. That's insane. That's a lot of money. That's back a then. lot of money. Okay, there's another uh, there's another comparison as far as like today, eight thousand pounds, which we'll talk about later. Eight thousand pounds at that time is equal to one point five million dollars Australian dollars now. Okay, that's yeah. a pretty big bounty. Yeah, for a gang so, member. So you're talking like two hundred fifty thousand, give or take here. Um, but yeah, basically the police wanted to split up the alliances and divide the Kelly gang from their sympathizers. So with no turning back, the gang decided. Why not? Let's rob some freaking banks, bro. Because we're, well, how else are we going to survive out here? Yeah, right? Fuck these people. They've been, uh, you know, fucking with us for so long. Yeah. Let's fight back. Exactly. That's hit so, where it hurts. The first bank being the National Bank in Aurora on December 10th of 1878. Here's how it went down Ned, Dan, and Joe ride into town, hitching their horses in front of the bank around 4 p.m. as the bank is closing. The clerk tells them that they're too late for a deposit. As he notices Ned waving around a check. Ned again insists, but this time pushing a little more force as he pushes past the bank teller, followed by Dan and Joe. Hmm. At this point, another teller comes from the back office. Ned quickly pulls his revolver and introduces himself. <laughs> Both tellers surrender as they lead the Kelly, bang, Kelly gang back to the manager's office. And while Ned has them both at gunpoint asking about the money, Dan and Joe round up the bank manager's family from the adjoining house. You know, back in the day, everybody lived at their business. Yeah, if you you, own, if you, were the, so, if you owned the bank, you lived above the bank. Yeah, most likely. yeah. Like Bonnie and Clyde ended up killing some innocent people because, you know, they were robbing a store or something. And then the, the teller or the uh, owner of the store came downstairs and found them. And yeah, it's this whole mess. But obviously, so obviously the manager quickly hands over the keys to a full bank safe stock full of gold and cash and other valuables. And then they gather up their hostages, 14 in total, and place them on a wagon out of town to a nearby hamlet so they wouldn't be able to alert the authorities. They gave them all tickets now, to Hamlet? All tickets to Hamlet, man. Shakespeare was just Hamilton alive and well back then. Hamilton wasn't. They couldn't get tickets to Hamilton, they so they had to get, get Hamlet. Did, has Hamilton happened yet? Yeah, it had. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah, it, it, it was it, sold out back then, that'd too. That'd be much more current. It was think. sold out back then, too. <laughs> no doubt. But a hamlet is just a small settlement, um, a farm, uh, you know, basically a settlement that's smaller than a village, basically. Yeah. Um, the gang, on their way out to this hamlet, also destroyed communication lines from the town to ensure lack of communication. It's brilliant. Yeah. Um, and when they arrived at the place, they ushered the hostages inside where some 40 other hostages were already being kept, including the owner of the property they were using, his family, servants, workers of the farm, and even a few uh, hawkers that they had stolen from along the way. They're just, just gathering people. You're just collecting they're your just, own little... Like, we're just growing listen, our hamlet. <laughs> and listen, with all these all these members, all these hostages, they only left Steve. Steve Hart, the, <laughs> the, the fourth member of the gang. You got this, Steve? Uh, yeah. yeah. I got six bullets and you brought... <laughs> 40, 50, Listen, 54, Steve, oh my God. Steve had, uh, he had two rifles. Okay. Either way. <laughs> but Steve Hart, the fourth member of the gang, was left behind to guard the hostages with a rifle in each hand. It's, but yeah, like you said, it's crazy they didn't just try to overpower him and rush him. But you know why they didn't? Because it was a freaking party, dude. Ned Kelly hostage situations 
were not like what you see on TV. It wasn't a bunch of people laying on the ground, trembling with their heads hands on behind their head. It was, a, it was a party. He usually brought in booze and food and music, and they just had a good time as long as they didn't leave. You don't leave. You don't get shot. You have a blast. That's, yeah. That's pretty much it. You kind of think of like the so, John Dillinger type thing, like of like hiding out amongst plain sight, blending in with the locals and going yeah. to parties and stuff. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, he was, I don't want to say like a Robin Hood type figure, but they do kind of portray you him a lot like that. You have to say that. I mean, I know they it comes per- up with every Wild West character, but you have to say it. They definitely portray him as a, a like a Robin Hood in He was in this a Robin one. Hood. He actually like, gave these people money, food, beer. Oh yeah, in the the first one you t- in that robbery that you were uh, Aurora Bank in yeah. the movie that I watched they they show him like taking the all the mortgages that the bank had for yes. everyone and burning them all it's like yes. you know well that's all the bank's records of debts he's yep. like burn them just and you yep. know for the ta- like for everybody in the town so he's getting the public on his side he's yep. gaining lots of support and he's not, he's not even like a, you know a trained outlaw he didn't grow up in the wild west and right, see all right. these outlaws whatever that is <laughs> yeah he's just making this up as he goes you along you know one thing about Ned Kelly i notice is like there's no tall tales about like he could shoot a a dime in the center of a quarter or like yeah. some bullshit like that you know what i mean there like there's no he, like he went around a tree and shot in the same hole 80 times, 87 times. Yeah. Like there's no tall tales. Like he was just a normal dude who just planned well, really. Yeah. He actually was just like, oh, well, if they're going to announce what they're going to do, I'll just stop them from doing that. That yeah, works, right? Exactly. Okay, yeah, that works. Exactly. So once it was decided that they were safe and the law wasn't on their tail from this robbery, Ned had food cooked up for everyone there. They ate. The gang performed horse tricks. And then, like Andy alluded to, they set fire to mortgage deeds that they stole from the bank, which the people really loved that. Um, And it really helped win the hearts of the working folks who helped to cover the gang by giving false info to the police after they rode away, which was brilliant. Yeah, it's just brilliant, man. I'm trying to think of like uh, what was the movie Inside Man or something like that where they get all the rob like all the hostages in the bank to start being like I don't know who I don't know, uh, I don't know man they just seem to disappear I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of like what we did for our DB Cooper episode yeah everybody's we, just like yeah. oh, you guys all get some money and yeah. I uh, jumped out of the plane yeah, right? that's right that's right the rest is history but. The gang, with their uh, with their new successful bank robbery, they felt a lot more brazen, and they weren't going to stop there. So they also hit the Bank of New South Wales in Geraldiri. Geraldiri. I think I'm saying that right. Geraldiri. Does that sound right? Sounds Geraldiri. right. Geraldiri. Geraldiri. You got to say it with an Australian accent, maybe it sounds better. Geraldiri. Geraldiri? No, nope, it sounds worse. <laughs> just sounds like you're uh, just choking. Geraldiri. <laughs> <laughs> right. But this was on February 8th of 1879. Now, the gang saunters into Jaraldari and overpowers some officers that were stationed there, stealing their clothes and parading them through the middle of town to a hotel, which the gang took immediate control over. They held any residents, staff, and even the officers hostage. But it wasn't necessarily unpleasant for the hostages because, like we know how the Kelly gang does it, they kept them well lubricated with alcohol and food as long as they didn't protest and, of course, didn't leave you're not our hostages you're our guests okay yeah. okay get your feet off the table get your feet <laughs> get away from the door six foot clearance uh <laughs> take a bath take a bathroom buddy that's right <laughs> bathroom buddy where's your hall pass <laughs> now now this hotel that they were holding everybody up in was conveniently right next to the bank of new south wales could you imagine that andy wow what a coincidence hmm. location 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 that's right So while Dan and Steve stay back to guard the hostages, Ned and Joe use a back door to enter the bank. 
They end up stealing over 2,000 pounds in cash. And in true Ned Kelly fashion, they also steal the mortgage deeds and burn them in the street on their way out. That's really a badass way to go out. That's a good calling card to leave behind. It really is. Just leave a confetti trail of burning deeds. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. It's freaking badass. And again, the gang also destroys many of the telegraph poles in town. And Ned makes one last stop at the local newspaper in hopes that they will print a letter that he's written in regards to his life. The way he's been treated, and of course, the corruption of law enforcement. I think if Ned Kelly were to come back today, he would have one regret, and that is that this letter never was published in full. Yeah. Not only was it not published in full, it was literally like outlawed. Yeah, probably it destroyed. It was a fifty-six page letter. It's a manifesto. It's not a it's, it's not even a letter at this point. It, like I said, it's a manifesto. It is. But it's a fifty-six page manifesto. Uh basically describing how his family was treated, the prejudice against the Irish and other low income and other like selector families and then the corruption in the police force. And of course, all that happened was little tidbits of of information from this letter was printed in the newspaper. And of course it was information that made Ned look very guilty because he did confess mm-hmm. to the things that he did, but they were justified in his terms. He, yeah, you know what I'm trying? He's trying to justify them. He's trying to explain why he's doing what he's doing, but they just leave all that shit out. I, I really, I really wish they would have actually included that in the Heath Ledger film that it's, it's not just a, a little news clipping that he submitted. Like it's a, yeah. lo- it's a long, well put together. Like he thought this shit out because mm-hmm. in the movie, it's just him like take, get a pen, take this down. And he's just like walking around the hostage situation, you know, dictating yeah. this speech. And he it's did presented like to as give like, speeches. It's presented as just like a letter to that, the constables yeah. and not to the public. No, he wrote a fuck ton of shit. Like he was like, yeah. this man is doing this for reasons, not just because he's kind of upset. Yeah. Yeah. So. And that is pretty accurate. Like I said, he was known to give a speech oh, when, yeah. he, when he got overwhelmed, but he, he was very concerned about his public opinion. He didn't want to be seen as this like cold hearted killer. He wanted to be seen as a Robin Hood, like yeah. you alluded to earlier. Um, but unfortunately for De- for Ned, the news staff of the newspaper place had completely fled, uh, obviously, when the raid started, and they realized that there were outlaws in town. So Ned had to give his Robin Hood speech aloud in town to hopefully rile some more local support. And then he lies to the people about where they're going, and he hits the trail. I, that's my favorite part of the story, because like, and the, the idea of him like you know giving like a little speech of the town, but like... He went out and read a 56-page letter. No, I don't think he read the whole thing. I hope he did. I hope he was like, no, 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 no. no Get them all everyone. together. Everyone together. Everyone together. It's like a church sermon. Yeah, he's like, like, oh, my God. Hold on. No. Okay. To the people of New South. He's my coughs. I was born on. It just goes all the way back. They described the birth of man as. Just has a whole thesis that he goes through, and everybody's just asleep by the end so of it. So at the Big Bang, what happened was... When a man oh, wait, wait, loves wait, a he's, woman, he's Catholic, never mind. When a man loves a woman... There you go, there you go. He spills so much seed. <laughs> exactly. But it, regardless, these raids that they were going on, they brought the government and the bank authorities together, which was very not good for the Kelly gang, because that means a lot of money is being put forth to capture this gang, and, you know, when money's involved, shit gets done. Yeah, right, now you're just giving the the, the cops more money. Yes, and they have issued a reward of 4,000 pounds for the gang's capture, either dead or alive, they don't care, 
which was matched by the Victorian government, bringing the total to 8,000 pounds. Like I alluded to earlier, that's 1.5 million in Australian dollars today. 1.5 million. Yeah, and is that uh, the whole gang together or is that each person? So I think okay. it's the, is it the whole gang is one half 5? of the total was basically for Ned. Yeah, four thousand for Ned, and then the remaining four thousand was for the other three members. Okay, so pretty much. Um, now the gang is presumed to have lived out in the bush for nearly a year and a half after this. Mm. However, as the gang remained elusive, the authorities harassed Kelly's sympathizers and jailed Kelly's friends and relatives without trial causing farms and homesteads to fail all over the area. I mean, they were already in dire straits and now you're taking you're taking the fathers, the men, the farmers out of this out of this area and locking them up just for being Kelly sympathizers. They're not yeah. doing anything. They're not they're not hiding him. They don't know where he is, most likely, but it didn't matter. It yeah, didn't matter. Kelly Kelly and his gang are making the the police and the banks and the money people look so bad and they're yeah. making them lose so much money that they are willing to make life miserable for everyone they to, really are. to make him stop. Exactly. And this obviously did not help the public opinion of the police. And in my opinion, I think it backfired. Honestly, I think it just made people lock up even more. They were oh, like, yeah. No, fuck you. You you know, you you're you're taking our farmers, you're taking our our fathers, our sons away, our our daughters even. I mean, they, they weren't afraid to lock up Ned's mother for mm-hmm. three years of Everything... hard labor for hitting a constable with a shovel. Like, I get it, assault, but I mean, you threw the book at her because she's Ned's mom. Yeah, and because, like, that's what, like, I don't, I, I, get, I completely get that, but everything that they are doing, everything that the constables and them are doing, you're proving Ned right. Everything that Ned just said that you've done to his yeah. family and to his people, you are doing it to all the people who support Ned. That's correct. Proving him right. So yeah. it's it's a win-win for him. Yep. I mean, it sucks all his supporters are getting taken, like getting their lives like torn up, but yeah, he's literally, you're, be- you're building him an army almost. Yeah, pretty much. Um, but the cops, they didn't care about this anymore, man. They wanted the Kelly gang dead. So they brought in some of the area's best indigenous trackers from Queensland and began the hunt for the Bush Rangers. Now, the Kellys, when they found out about this, they were, they were terrified, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, because the lore around these trackers, it, it got, a little, got a little out of control. One newspaper article, which was probably going to reach the gang, stated that the trackers were cannibals and planned to eat the Kelly gang upon capture. Now, obviously, this wasn't true, but it shows just how fed up the police were. Like, if they're willing to put out there publicly that they have cannibals looking for him, you see what I'm saying? Like, we, they just don't give a shit anymore. I love that. I love the. I, I just love that they they like the Kelly gang's gonna read that and think that they hired cannibals to come get us. They're gonna eat us, mate. God, fuck! <laughs> These guys are brutal, mate. I thought way were brutal. <laughs> Joe, you ever eat a man? <laughs> right. Well, right. not, no, not, not like that. But yeah, these guys are crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was pretty crazy. And they were they were fed up with them. They were also, you know, becoming quite persuasive to the Kelly sympathizers. And one in particular, Aaron Sherritt, decided to turn and work for them. On June twenty sixth, eighteen eighty, Sherritt, a known bare knuckle boxer, gets a knock at his door late at night. Andy, don't box your microphone. Box it. Don't box that microphone. Uh, it's his old friend, Joe Byrne, with Dan Kelly at his side. You see, Sherritt was a longtime supporter of the Kelly gang and childhood friend of Joe Byrne, but recently decided to switch sides when he became an informant for the police. Mm. 
Yeah, yeah the Kelly gang was, did not like this. This guy that was the guy Joel Edgerton played in the movie that I watched. Uh, so it's like he was uh, he was like Joe's friend for a long time, and he was like one of the guys who was there when Ned got out of prison. And yeah, he's like one of their good friends, but he never joined the gang. Right. Yeah, that when you talked about the dresses thing, mm-hmm. that was the only time in that film that they even mentioned the 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 cross dressing or the wearing dresses. Right. And it was a, but it wasn't a gang thing. It was like they used as a ploy to lure someone out. They're I'll like, probably oh, someone, share it. Right. Yeah. It's like, oh, there, there's a there's a woman out there calling your name. Mm. Go quiet. Go quiet. One of your whores. But it was one okay. of the gang members wearing a dress. So it's like that's the only time they ever alluded to that was okay. with, with, was with uh, share it. Okay. So yeah, so what happens is when Sherrod opens the door, Joe wastes no time. He immediately raises his shotgun and blasts Sherrod in the throat. Just to make a point, he fires another round into the man's stomach as he lay on the floor. Sherrod's wife and mother-in-law were in the house witnessing the murder and scream in shock. Now, you'd think a man who knew the Kelly gang so well and was cooperating with police would be given some type of police protection, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Because they're probably going to come looking for him. Well, as a matter of fact, he was given protection. And the four constables that were assigned to him were in the Sherrod house in a bedroom, absolutely uselessly hiding under the bed. That was a great hiding yeah. under the bed. They yeah. have all of them there in the film too. They're all playing cards in, in one of the other rooms. And yeah. that's when like they see the like the woman in the dress. They're like, Sherrod, one of your whores out there calling your name, and it's, yeah. it's Joe in a dress. But yeah, that's a they they left something out, or I don't know why they added it about Sherrod's character when he like shacks up because he has a wife in the movie. But they're like, mm-hmm. he's like, I got a visitor, and they're like, oh, and he says this girl's name, and Joe Burns like, Christ, man, she's only thirteen, and he says like, ah, I'm not superstitious. I'm like, we I'm just brushing over that part, <laughs> <laughs> right? <clears throat> So, yeah, so these four constables um, that were supposed to be protecting the Sherrod house were hiding up underneath the beds, literally terrified of the Kelly gang. The gang didn't care too much about the women, uh, you know, Sherrod's wife and mother-in-law, and they let them leave. But when the constables wouldn't come out to fight them, they instead tried to set the house on fire while taunting the terrified officers. But lucky for the scaredy cats, the house didn't catch. But it didn't matter, because the gang had accomplished what they set out to do, and their point had been made. Yeah. Meanwhile, with loud displays of violence like this, the indigenous trackers were hot on the trail of the Kelly gang because once they heard of this, you know, once uh, Sherrod's wife got to the police and, of course, the constables, they they lived through this, luckily, mm-hmm. somehow, um, and they went and told their superiors, they immediately sent the indigenous trackers to that location to try to get a fresh scent on them. It was it was kind of cool how they in the in the movie I watched how they caught Sherrod as a as a rat or as a yeah. mole they were like I think your friend is turned on us I think he may be one of the people who they've gotten and yeah. Ned, Ned plans he's like let's he's like let's let's see let's give him false information that we're gonna go rob this bank somewhere else yeah and see if the we see a big you know like surge of police presence there yeah and they did they see a big surge he's like I think your friend turned on us bud yep yep exactly. And Ned knew that either way, even though he was satisfied with the revenge, he knew this wasn't going to end without a fight and that they had crossed way too many bridges. Burnt too many bridges, rather. Stolen them. Yeah. (laughs) And mainly sparked by the murder of Aaron Sherritt, Ned knew that a literal train full of officers would be headed his way in Glen Rowan. About to run a train on your ass. Yeah, exactly. So the gang rode to Glen Rowan the following day and took possession of the town's railway station and the Glen Rowan Inn. 
detaining around 60 people in the hotel. In typical Ned fashion, of course, basically it was a big party. While he planned to derail the two special trains carrying additional forces from Melbourne by literally removing pieces of the track, which mm. would send the train down an embankment, hopefully killing nearly everyone on board, in his opinion, which would be officers. Yeah. And then any survivors, would they would just go down there and pick them off, like Ex- fish in a barrel, pretty much. That's like that's why I was like, the best, pl- this man is such a good planner. It's a good like, plan. Like I said, he knew they're sending a train full of like soldiers to come yeah. try and find me. Oh, they're going to be on that train coming this way? Mm. Let's just fuck up the tracks. They won't get here. He made one stupid mistake, though, which we'll get to. Um, But it took longer than expected, okay? Um, Mainly because the four constables that hid under the bed in the Sherrod home did not alert their superior until the following day. They were terrified. They stayed in this house for like another 24 hours. Yeah, and there's his wife and mother-in-law just out there dealing with a dead body and being like, are you guys coming out? Yeah, (laughs) right. You you have to imagine. Are they gone? With the sheets pulled up and... You have to imagine it would be something like that, right? Mm-hmm. But meanwhile, the hostages, the 60 hostages that they were holding at the hotel were getting a little rambunctious, um, and they were growing weary and unruly. Yeah, you, and, you locked them all in a bar. Yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, this is a this and, is an inn. It's a hotel. They have a Pretty bar. much, right. Uh, but one hostage by the name of Thomas Kernow, uh, or Kernow, I've, I've heard it pronounced different ways, but we'll say Kernow. Thomas Kernow, who's a local school teacher and one of the hostages had gotten quite good with Ned, and he asked him if he could return home to look after his sick wife. And when the exhausted Ned Kelly permits him to do so, Kernow leads up the railroad. Did I say Kernow again? I meant Kernow. Yeah. Kernow heads up the railway from the hotel past the break in the track and flags down the train full of police reinforcements and warns them of the gang's plan. God, you never, oh, never listen to the hostages. Right. Yeah, this is portrayed in like a pretty interesting way in the in the uh, the true history movie as well. It's like Ned sits down there. He's like, he looks exhausted for one. He looks awful. He's he's stressed out. He's like freaking out. He's wearing a dress. He's like covered in sweat and dirt. He's yeah. just like fucked up. And this guy's like, listen. He's like, I, I can help you. He's like, I I I I think in the movie he actually says that he has books. Like certain educational books that have been like outlawed or or you're not allowed to have if you're below a certain economic class, hmm. you know, books that people who weren't able to get an education would really want. Yeah. And so that's kind of how he tempts Ned because he knows Ned is an intelligent guy and would probably want these. Yeah. So he's like, I can run down to the schoolhouse and get these books for you and, and be back in no time. And, you know, and Ned goes for it, obviously. Hmm. I believe more that Ned would go after the sick wife thing, though. You know, I, possibly, yeah. Right? The book thing seems kind of silly. Like, why would you make that the thing? I, 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 don't, I don't, I don't know. Doesn't make any. It doesn't make any sense. To be like, oh, I, yeah, I guess if your wife's sick, go ahead. Yeah. It's like, what is right. this a job interview? Like, why? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta go. I got a sick kid. I gotta pick up. <laughs> right. But regardless, the train was halted before it reached the rail break, and the police were at the hotel before the Kelly gang knew what was going on. So here we are, guys. This is the climax. This is the final, the final battle. When Ned finally notices the posse, he yells for the gang to get ready. Ned puts on his green sash. He was rewarded as a boy. They kill the lights in the hotel and don body armor that they fabricated out of sheets of metal to basically protect their bodies from their heads to their knees. These things look badass. They're pretty people. crazy. They are, man. That's one of the cool. Like, I, in the movie, I saw they almost look like the Black Knight from Monty Python. They're very bucket oh, yes. helmets with like the slits yes. in them. But they have it's like a big steel chest plate. He's got like 
two steel plates on the po- tops of their arms and like yeah. almost like, you know, thigh pads made of steel. And they just all stand in there like iron sentries. Like, what? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, so after a very intense silence as the police approach, gunfire ensues between the police and the gang. Now, during this, Ned snuck out the back of the hotel and tried to flank the officers from the rear and was somewhat successful. Well, at least in scaring the shit out of them. Yeah. Like, some officers even thought that it was a ghost. They thought it was like, oh, my God, the freaking devil is behind us. They, yeah. Because they, they hadn't seen this armor, right? Because they were wearing the armor inside the hotel. Ned's the only one that came out with it. Yeah. They And so they're, they're shooting at him and bullets, and you're literally seeing sparks fly off of him yeah. and stuff. So it's like almost like fire. Mm-hmm. So by this time, Ned was exhausted. His arms and legs were riddled with bullets, and with the convergence of more officers as the battle went on, he was eventually overwhelmed with shots to his legs, causing massive blood loss, and eventually, Ned passed out. Meanwhile, Steve and Dan were offering cover fire from the hotel where Joe already lay dead from a gunshot to his femoral artery. They they really added some... Uh some stuff in the film that I watched to mm-hmm. like really put the pressure or like the heat on the police on like the constables. Okay. Because they, they really kind of had this whole tense battle with, you know, that he has like, you know, 40 some hostages in there or how many people are with them. And when all the, the soldiers are all lined up, they try to send out the hostages. They're like, Hey, don't hold your fire. We have women and children coming out. Mm-hmm. And they send out a group of people and all the, all the constables are like, someone gets jumpy and some of them start firing. So yeah. they shoot a hostage, they shoot at that, people. This is later. This is later after they already have Ned. And they think the only remaining people inside the hotel are just other members of the gang. So what they, the bright idea is that they're just going to set the whole hotel on fire. Mm-hmm. That's their plan. And then as these hostages are trying to come out, uh, the officers are freaking shooting at them. Yeah. It, it's unreal. They're like shooting at these officers while they're trying, I mean, these uh. Uh, hostages, rather, as they're trying to come out of the building, and they do it three separate times um, before they finally they finally ordered they were finally ordered by a superior officer to let them leave. They're like, "Hey, that's the hostages! Stop shooting! Yeah, stop people. firing!" Right. So now, with the hostages gone, all that's left in in the hotel or in the inn, rather, is Dan and Steve, who are in probably terrible shape. Oh yeah, uh, Joe's like I said, Joe's already dead. And the femoral artery injury, he bled out within minutes. And Dan and Steve are still in the building when it is set ablaze by officers. And their two charred bodies were all that was pulled from the rubble. Mm. Did they? Uh, did they? Did they say what their cause of death was or anything like that? Because in, in my film, it shows them. Uh, I don't think they could tell. In in my in the film that I watched, it shows them have two bullets left, and they 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 off they off themselves. See, that's what I figured would happen. Okay, yeah. imagine you're in there, they set it on fire, you're surrounded, you can't go, if you go out, you're going to be shot. You might as well off yourself. Yeah, you're wearing all this steel body yeah. armor, you've gotten shot, and you have your to, arms and legs and stuff. No so. source did I, no credible source did I find that they off themselves, but you have to think they did, right? Uh, who wants to burn alive? Yeah, you're, like they, just, said, they didn't burn alive. They, right? ju- they just watched Joe get killed, because in, in the film I watched Joe get shot, like I said, they're wearing the, the body armor that goes pretty much down to their waist, and then they yeah. have the, the thigh pads, and he gets 
shot like right in the groin, like right through the mm. or between the gap. Yeah. And he just slinks down and dies really quickly. So yeah, it's like they've just watched. They think that Ned is dead outside. They, mm-hmm. So they, Ned went out to cause a distraction and you know do a flanking thing. Right. They think their brother's dead. Joe's just get, getting killed in front of them. The house yeah. is on fire. There's an army outside. Yeah. So yeah, I I, I have a I have a feeling that they they probably uh, took themselves out. Yeah. Because like I said, there's they didn't there was no other way out. There was they they were gonna lose. Yep. Yep. So when they took Ned. Uh, they did take Ned alive, like we talked about, um, but Ned ended up passing out from blood loss as well. And when the officers found him, they he was he was still alive, but barely. And they had they took him, they treated his wounds, they cut the armor off of him because it was all held on by like these leather straps and yeah. stuff. They cut the lar- armor off, they treated his wounds, um, and it is noted that one constable wanted to kill him. I don't know who it was, but he wanted to kill him on the spot, and he was ordered not to by his superior. He said, if you shoot him, I will shoot you. Yeah. He will face justice. So Ned's trial ended up being held on October 28th, 1880. He was convicted of the murders and robberies, of course, um, easily, and sentenced to death by hanging. Something that didn't do him any favors was the 56-page letter where he confessed to nearly everything that we know today. Yeah. Um, like, albeit with justification, but that doesn't matter. In the court of law, they're just seeing that you said you yep. did this. And I'm sure they just used segments anyways that made him look really bad like they did his whole entire life. Yeah, you have a signed confession right here. Yep. And despite petitions for mercy and demands for reprieve, Ned Kelly was hanged on November 11th, 1880. He was only 25 years old. Yeah, man. He was killed in Melbourne. And it is believed that his last words were such as life. But there's also, there's also, it's kind of comical. There's other reports that say like he couldn't get anything out. Like he, he was like, uh, he was kind of like fumbling over words. He was just saying like, I, I would like to say, it, it, and just nothing coherent came out yeah. before the hangman just dropped him. And then, yeah, okay. <laughs> and then they were like, oh man, they were brutal with, they actually dropped him eight feet before the rope snapped. Oh, that would have popped eight, his head off almost. It, it nearly did. It severed, it like completely pulled his spine apart. Um, it was, it was a absolute brutal death. They wanted to make sure that he was dead by the time he reached the end of the rope pretty yeah. much. And, and he was, easily. Um, and in 1906, he was the subject of the world's first dramatic feature-length film, believe it or not, The Story of the Kelly Gang, which was later added to a United Nations Heritage Rest, uh, Register. That I did not know as a, as a cinephile yeah. myself. I did not know that that was the first dramatic feature-length film. Yeah. So. Um, and a lot, of, a lot of other things that were detailed about Kelly's life, because some things came out before this in the late 1800s, and they were basically silenced. Yeah. Yeah. They were they were removed by Victorian government um, and just different things, different authorities. They were like, no, the public will not hear about this. No, no, no. We can't no. let them know these things. We can't let them know all the things he right. wrote in that letter. So th- that tends one to believe that Kelly was right. He was in the right in what he did, and he overall stood for... For the small man, for the, you know what I'm saying? The the working the man, oppressed. The, yeah. the oppressed, absolutely. Um, but people are still profiting off of him to this day. Actually, the the green sash mm-hmm. that he loved, the, the green and gold sash that we alluded to so many times, the doctor who treated his wounds stole that sash, actually. The doctor did? Yes, he removed it from him because he was, uh, you know, in charge of treating his wounds and whatnot, and he stole the sash. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, they, and uh, it was passed down for his fa- through his family through generations. I think it's in a museum now. Okay, but his family had it for a long time. See, they they showed the doctor removing it in the yeah. Heath Ledger film, but he doesn't take it. He he removes it from him. But then Jeffrey Rush's character, the the, the chief constable or whatever, mm-hmm. he was our, he was shot by Kelly in the battle. He walks over and basically was the one who like was like, no, don't kill him. You know, spare him. Yeah, yeah. And he's the, he like takes the scarf and asks. Do you mind if I have this? Yeah. And I'm like, that's the weirdest line in the whole movie. It's like, you mind if I have this? I'm just going to, I'm just going to, I'm just going to take it. I'm just going to take it. The doctor doesn't give a shit. It's not the doctor. Oh, he's asking Ned. No, he's asking the, he's asking Ned. Ned is like on the, like the stretcher, like covered in blood. And he like, the doctor is just taking this off. And the constable just walks by and picks it up. He's like, man, if I, man, if I take this. You didn't say no. So I'm going to go ahead. Yeah, He doesn't say anything. He's like, yeah, I'm just going to, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and take this. I'm going to take this. Yeah, but not only his sash, but also his armor, which includes a helmet, a breastplate, a backplate, and shoulder plates, along with his Snyder Enfield rifle and one of his boots are on display in the State Library of Victoria. The Still, one boot is the strange one. Just the one boot. Yeah. Okay? You don't get two boots, man. Yeah, two left feet. No. <laughs> Couldn't dance for anything. That's right. Man, what a crazy life, though. A crazy life. A crazy story, man. It really is. Um, like we said, if you guys are interested in this, we definitely encourage you to check out the two movies that we watched. They're very cool. Um, as well as a great podcast I found on Ned Kelly called Real Outlaws. Um, it's by a podcast network called Noiser. Noiser? Mm, okay. Does that, does that look right to you? Yeah, Noiser. Noiser. Is that how you would say it? Noiser, yeah. I think it's Noiser. But it's a three-parter on uh, Ned Kelly. It's it's beautifully written. It's quite um, embellished. It's it's embellished in a way. It's kind of like uh, what Sandu proper meets Sandu stories because they okay. have you know they have like shot they have like gun sounds and horses and you you kind of get into the feel of it. It's yeah. it's very very well done. Very well done. Um, I enjoyed that podcast very much. If you guys want to check that out, um, as well as the true history of the Kelly Gang, the movie that I watched that came out in 2020, and then the t- the movie entitled just simply Ned Kelly, which came out in 2003 that Andy watched. Also, uh, great flicks, though, honestly. Um, the, his- the true history of the Kelly Gang, like I said, was somewhat accurate, uh, aside from the dresses. But more than that, it was beautifully shot. Yeah. I mean, it was it was a work of art. It kind of reminded me of, like, uh, like some newer westerns, kind of like No Country for Old Men, but also meets, like, uh, you seen that movie uh, with Robert Pattinson, The Lighthouse? Yeah. It's kind of like that, kind of kind of like really dramatic, very artistic. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I enjoyed it. Like yeah, I, said, the, I, I really enjoyed it. The 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 Ned Kelly film, the Heath Ledger, it's Heath Ledger, you know, Orlando Bloom, Jeffrey, it's a stacked cast of people. Mm-hmm. And it's it's very well shot as well. It, it yeah. reminds me of like Young Guns, like the, you know, Emilio okay. Estevez, Kiefer Sutherland. Yep, it kind of reminds yep. me of that vibe of like these young, you know, bro- bro- band of brothers out there on yeah. the run of, you know. Young Guns, that's, that's Billy the Kid story, right? Yeah, that's Billy the Kid. Yeah. So um, it kind of reminds me of that. And it, it has a very good, like artistic feel. And one thing they really, they show it in my film. I don't know if they show it in the, in the, the story of the Kelly gang, but when they're, when the gang is like out in the bush for like a year and a half, it shows them kind of on this journey through that. And it shows at one point they're like starving. They're, you know, they're, they're dying of thirst oh, out you know there. They were. And it shows them, it shows Ned have to walk up and kill one of their horses at one point. And it shows them like just drinking the horse's blood and they're all passed out in the desert. So it's like, they actually, they kind of skim over that, but it's like, there was a year of these people's lives where they were just on the a year run. and a half. Yeah. yeah. Like out in the Australian outback. Yep. Like that's not easy living, folks. <laughs> no, absolutely not. 
Absolutely not. They didn't even have any Oh My Gaia, dude. They were just out there just stinking, not bathing. They weren't even vibing Nothing. either. No. Not they, vibing, not they, smelling they good. They had no good vibes and no good smells. Mm-mm. But lucky for you, because you're a True Crime Guys listener, you have access to all the vibes and all the smells. All the smells. Like Oh My Gaia, which is an innovative, all-natural deodorant, fragrance, and beard oil company specializing in paraben and aluminum-free products. Their innovative line of deodorants inhibit the growth of odor-causing bacteria while still maintaining effectiveness. And we're positive that there's a scent to, for you. I mean, even if you're a cowboy, we got, what do we got? We got Lumberjack. We got Fireside. Mm-hmm. Fireside's probably the best cowboy scent. That we got, I well, there's of. Sailor. Sailor's Sa- pretty close Sailor out there. Sailor is, is the opposite of Le- cowboy. Okay, no, leather. Leather, leather is... Now you got one. Leather, like lots of saddles. That's right. Big old boots. That's right. <laughs> There's cherry almond, sandalwood, lavender, lemongrass, Egyptian musk, coconut, dreamsicle, leather, lumberjack, honeysuckle. Even honeysuckle, you know, I mean, it's kind of nice. It's kind of nice. You know, fireside, bergamot, amber, pear, sweet pea, uh, barbershop, and of course, you can't forget true crime pine. Probably the best outlaw scent you could possibly have. Absolutely. You right? want to smell like a real creeping outlaw? <laughs> true crime fine. That's true how you do pine. it. And because you're true crime guys, listeners, you can use the code word creeper, C-R-E-E-P-E-R, for 15% off your order at shop underscore oh my guy on Instagram or ohmygaia.com. That's O-H-M-Y-G-A-I-A.com. And not only that, Michael, it's time for our listeners to start vibing. Yes. They need to be vibing when they vibing listen to our it. sweet vo- voices in their ear holes. Right. Because, guys, we have tonic CBD. Mm-hmm. It is true that not all CBD products are created equal, from how the hemp is grown and processed to how it's formulated and delivered into your sweet bodies. That's why Tonic's products really stand out with original formulas using CBD, adaptogens, herbs, and superfoods, and has been working to deliver the most effective, intentional, and sustainable products that are possible. Guys, it's really scientific breakthrough kind of stuff, guys. So sciencey. So sciencey. Tonic cultivates their own hemp on their certified organic family farm in upstate New York. The hemp only travels 30 minutes to their distribution center, where it is then turned into a finished product and sent directly to you to ensure the highest quality vibes at every stage of your process, Mm -hmm. from the the time it comes off the plant to the time it goes into your sweet body. That's right. (laughs) And with values rooted in quality, integrity, and sustainability, Mm -hmm. Tonic is committed to creating plant-based wellness products that are not only good for the people, but are good for our planet that's right visit tonicvibes.com to learn more and use code word creeper for 20 percent off your order that is tonicvibes.com and use code word creeper for 20 percent off your first order that's right and guys links to both of our advertisers of our partnership companies are right below the description of this episode as well as the keyword as well as any sources that we use for this episode too um and links to the to the uh, podcast that I mentioned earlier, also down there, as well as some very interesting YouTube videos and all types of stuff like that. All right? Well, guys, if you enjoy what we do here at True Crime Guys, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash True Crime Guys, where for just five bucks a month, you can get access to everything we create here at TCG Productions. And for just two bucks a month, you can get access to our 50 Vault episodes that you don't see on your free platform anymore. They are in the TCG Vault on Patreon as well as our Patreon-exclusive episode that we do every single month, which we will be doing next week, which we alluded to at the beginning of this episode, um, on the Texas Town Sniper. So join us on Patreon next week, um, at least on the $2 tier or higher, and you will get to hear the Texas Town Sniper. And here on the free platform, we will be releasing Strange Shorts with me and Andy. I think it's episode 123? Something like that. I think it'll be. Yeah, we already broke Super Blackjack. 
Yeah, yeah. We, whatever that is. <laughs> you had to be there. Yeah, you had to be there. It's an inside <laughs> joke on uh, Strange Shorts. But uh, yeah, guys, that's pretty much it. Make sure you subscribe and follow us on YouTube as well on, as on social media, at True Crime Guys, wherever you are. Okay. Anything else, Andy? Nope. Guys, like we've talked about before, if you have any other case suggestions, if you have anything that might pop up in your neck of the woods or anything that we haven't covered before, please feel free to reach out to us. You can direct message us on Patreon, Mm -hmm. social media, or you can email us at truecrimeguys at gmail.com. And we'll try and get all those stories in. We have a pretty full calendar coming up and we would love to have some more things that our listeners have suggested. So absolutely. All right, guys, that's pretty much it. We'll see you uh, next week. If you're on Patreon, if not, we'll see you next week here for strange shorts. All right. Keep creeping, guys. Bye. If you've enjoyed this episode, please feel free to check out all the other shows on our TCG network, as well as subscribing to our YouTube channel. Starting every Monday with new episodes of Strange and Unexplained, followed every other Tuesday by our audio drama podcast, Sandu Stories. Then, of course, new episodes of True Crime Guys every Wednesday. And if that's not enough, head on over to our Patreon, where you can have access to hundreds of hours of exclusive content, including older episodes, strange shorts, the latest edition of Sandu Stories, and of course, higher thoughts. But until next time, guys, keep creeping. You hush your mouth, boy.